Welcome to another inspirational teaching from the Neighborhood Church. We pray that you be blessed by it. This morning, we're going to take you to Jerusalem on the weekend that changed the world. Nearly 2,000 years ago. We're going to introduce you to people who were there. We will start with Pilate. So from Mark chapter 15, verse 15, wishing to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. I am Pontius Pilate. I wanted to release Jesus. I really did. He was fascinating and had a depth of insight that I admired. These religious people and all of their laws and strange ways, I really get frustrated with the whole scene. I wanted to free Jesus and maybe even keep him around for a while so I could ask him some more philosophical questions about truth and meaning. But I was under a lot of pressure from the crowd and also from Herod who expected me to keep things in order. I knew in my gut that Jesus was innocent, but I re released Barabbas, a hardened criminal, in his place. He'd murdered and he was dangerous. But it's what they wanted, and I need to give the people what they want as much as I can, especially the religious people because they are so cantankerous. In order to keep the peace around here, especially over Passover weekend when this whole area is mobbed. The streets are jammed with people during this festival and I could just imagine a rebellion breaking out. Then I would really be in a difficult position and there would be even more deaths of innocent people to deal with. That's how I rationalized it as I washed my hands of the whole situation and handed Jesus over to be crucified. The crowd loved it and they even shouted, his blood be on us and on our children. I guess they thought that they were victorious and I was a hero for a moment for giving in to them. I wasn't able to sleep that night, however. I'm not sure that washing my hands of the whole situation made a difference. So how do you respond to the cross? Are you like Pilate? Is pressure from others keeping you from recognizing who Jesus is? Are you giving into peer pressure and conforming to the will of people or to the will of God? Now I take you to John chapter 19, 25. Standing near the cross where Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. I am Mary, the mother of Jesus. I watched my son die, his excruciating death on the cross from a distance. I wept, I cried out to God, and I knelt down on the dirt, mud too weak to stand. I wanted to run up and pull him off the cross, comfort him, hold him. I couldn't. They wouldn't let me near him. 
As I stood there watching my son be brutalized, I had so many flashbacks of him when he was young. His first smile, learning to speak and to walk. The strongest memory I had was, was though when the angel Gabriel came to me in the beginning and told me I was pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. At that time, the angel told me that a sword would pierce through my soul also. I didn't understand then. Everything else the angel had said was so positive and reassuring. The angel told me that I was to name my son Jesus, that he would be a savior. He would lift us up, uh, people who, would, who were sick, oppressed, and downtrodden. He would bring God's justice, and he would triumph over evil with good. He was a hope of Israel, and he promised, anointed one, he had all been waiting, that we had all been waiting for. And I had the honor and the privilege of raising this child. I looked forward to the day when all of these promises would be fulfilled. As I watched him heal, uh, as I watched him heal and help and teach and lead, I thought this was the beginning of a new thing for our nation that God was doing. I was so excited. And then when he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey for the Passover feast, I thought this must be the moment when he was going to overthrow the Roman government. Instead, he ended up being crucified on one of their crosses. What a cruel twist of fate. I don't know what to think anymore. I'm so wiped out, I can't even think, and I don't want to. Despairing is closing. Despair is closing in. How can I believe the promises the angel gave me after watching my son die? My, my eyes are swollen with, with grief. Life has a way of turning on you and dashing our hopes, making light and hope grow dim. My son is gone. Can the dead live again? Can my son be restored? Of course not. There is no way out of my anguish, and I'm alone in my darkness. How do you respond to the cross? Are you like Mary? Has life hit you hard? Dashed your hopes? Is it too hard to pray? Is it at these times that God is closer to us than any idea? Just when we think the end has come and there is no way out, God makes a way. Know that God is faithful and will be faithful to you. All his promises are true and reliable. Mary will find this out very soon. So I take you now to Mark 15, 21. A passbuyer named Simon, who was from Serene, was coming in from the countryside just then. And then the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. I'm Simon of Serene. They forced me to help carry Jesus' cross. I didn't want to be involved, not one little bit. I'm a Jadidian, and I'd come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Carrying the cross of a criminal would make me ceremonially unclean, unable to participate in the Passover celebration. Generally, I'm one of those guys who likes to stay to himself, do my own thing on my own terms. Quite frankly, I've seen religion divide people, and I don't see a need for it. Besides, I just wanted to come, enjoy myself, 
and not be excluded from all the festivities. I was required by law to be there, so I might as well enjoy myself, right? Life is hard enough as it is. That's why they had to force me to do this unclean thing that did indeed disqualify me from Passover. I think they chose me to do this because I'm a large fellow, muscular. They thought I could handle it. I stood a head taller than most, so they spotted me right away. Anyway, they literally pulled me out of the crowd and ordered me to pick up the crossbar from this guy. He was lying face, face down in the dirt and couldn't get up with the weight of that beam across his shoulders. The soldiers literally shoved me towards him, and I stooped to lift, as I stooped to lift the cross from him, I saw him turn and look at me. His hair was matted with blood. His face was disfigured with swelling, but there was gratitude and relief in his eyes. He drew me in, and a longing stirred within me that I didn't know was there. I wished I had known him before those last hours. As I began trudging up the hill with him, staggering behind me, the resentment I'd felt for being picked out of the crowd to do this gruesome task started to melt. I began to feel as if I was doing something very important, beyond my wildest dream. A kind of strange gratitude for being involved in this drama came over me. I only wished I had known him before these last moments of his life. Maybe getting involved more with this man and what he stood for would have made me a better person. How do you respond to the cross today? Are you like Simon? Perhaps you don't want to be involved either with the things of God. Maybe organized religion has been a negative experience for you. Maybe church politics have dragged you down. Or you just don't know who to trust anymore. But what about the relationship with the person of Jesus? Is he drawing you to himself today? And now I take you to Mark 15, 22 to 24. And they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means a place of the skull. They offered him wine drugged with myrrh, but he refused it. Then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes and they threw dice. My name is Alexis. I am a soldier. I work hard at my job. In some ways, my job is my life. I am proud to be a soldier for the Roman government and glad that I can put food on the table in an abundant way for my family. In order to keep my job, I follow orders. I do what I am told. I invest in what my duties are because I believe that it is for a good cause. I follow the rules, and the rules say that when someone is a criminal, they must pay for it. Justice must be served. I work for the Romans, and Rome is a powerful nation. So clearly, the Roman government knows what it is doing when it suppresses rabble-rousers and those who would defy the established order of things. If rebellion is a nipped in the bud, who knows what might transpire? The job requires that I enforce the rules and carry out the punishment for those who break those rules. I do my job, and I do it well. The job of being a soldier also comes with perks. Don't think that didn't persuade me somewhat to do what I do. It's quite a lucrative perk, actually, because every time a criminal is put to death by crucifixion, we all gamble for the criminal's possessions around the base of the cross. It's a good deal because you acquire all kinds of valuables this way, especially if the criminal was a thief. 
Of course, in the case of Jesus, that Nazarene preacher, he didn't have much to speak of, just a robe and a hooded shawl. I didn't win anything off of him. Yeah, yeah, it's always a gamble. I never know if those dice are going to come up in my favor or not. Next time, hopefully they will. I keep trying to win as much as I can, because that's all that translates into success for me. Ultimately, it's all about doing the job well, staying out of trouble, following orders, and bringing the bucks. What a storm at that crucifixion for the Nazarene preacher. Though, I've got to tell you, never seen anything like it. Everything got dark, and there was this earthquake that made the whole place shudder. I was actually scared for a few minutes there with the lightning and thunder, but soon I got over it. Soldiers don't generally get scared, and I am actually ashamed to share that. Tomorrow is another day, and I will try harder to be brave. I have a lot to do as a soldier, and when duty calls, I answer. How do you respond to the cross? Are you like the soldier at the cross? They were so wrapped up in their jobs, they had no idea what was going on. Jesus was right there, but they didn't see and they didn't understand. Sometimes our duties in life, the pressures of material gain and our day-to-day jobs get in the way of our spiritual understanding and growth as Christians, of recognizing the presence of Jesus in our midst. Mark 15, 31 to 32. The leading priests and teachers of religious law mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. My name is Abishua. I'm one of the chief priests in Jerusalem. We have charge over all the functions of the temple. It is our sacred offer, sacrifices in the temple for the glory of God and for the redemption of his people. It is the highest office in the land. And with the scribes, we are the most powerful religious leaders in all of Israel. Our authority is unquestioned. Everyone knows our lineage. From the time of Aaron, we have been God's chosen vessels, his official ministers. So it has always been, so it shall always be. We view any circumstance which might upset this ancient order and practice with a profound concern. The recent case of this troublemaker, Jesus of Nazareth, illustrates my point. You understand his teachings have disturbed the people and have called our temple practices into question. A dangerous extremist. He has challenged an authority and practice that transcends our time, one established and approved by long-standing tradition. Certainly, we have encountered similar challenges before. Those who would destroy, cloaking themselves in the guise of reform, but none as dangerous as this Jesus of Nazareth. His followers and sympathizers have numbered in the thousands. Some even dare to claim that he may be the long-awaited Messiah. 
that surely if that were so, we in the priesthood should have been among the first to acclaim and honor him. We know what the Messiah will look like, and it's not this man. No, I'm afraid the people are too easily deluded. You see, we have been aware of Jesus for quite some time, and none of our information substantiates his irresponsible claims. We would have known him, of course, if he was the Messiah, because we are the chosen ones of God and know the ancient scriptures inside and out. God would have revealed it to us if Jesus were the Messiah. His tendency to associate with the unclean. Sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, lepers and the blind, who are clearly being punished for their sins, these people are his friends. Just as one example of what an imposter he is, we had to put him to death to make it clear to the common people who don't understand the law the way we do that this man was not of God and that the power of tradition, the power of law, far outweigh this troublemaker's claims about mercy and justice and, and compassion. We, as the chief priests, are the ones to say what is acceptable and unacceptable. No tax collector, prostitute, or anyone who is unclean has any share in relating to a holy God. Thank goodness we put an end to that Jesus movement by nailing him to a cross. How do you respond to the cross? Sometimes the most religious among us are the hardest ones to reach with grace and truth. Sometimes tradition, the way we've always done it, gets in the way of the life change that the Holy Spirit may want to accomplish in us. If we say we have no sin in ourselves, if we say that we are good, the truth is not in us. We deceive ourselves. We are all sinners saved by grace. No matter how well we know the Bible, no matter how hard we try to climb the ladder of goodness, we are all in need of rescue. We all need a savior. Mark 15, 39. When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he died, he exclaimed, this truly was the son of God. I am Gamaliel the Centurion. I stood in front of Jesus and heard him cry out from the cross that Friday at 3 p.m. It was the last breath of a dying man. It's not like I haven't been in this situation before. I have overseen many crucifixions, but none like this. What happened that day at Golgotha? Golgotha is a garbage dump outside the city in the shape of a skull, where we often carry out crucifixions. What happened that day at Golgotha was horrific and life-changing. I was there when the darkness covered the whole area for three hours. I was there when we were all shrouded by a dark curtain of clouds. 
that completely shrouded us from the sun. I was there when the ground trembled beneath us. I saw rocks rolling and splitting. I heard thunder and I observed lightning streaking across the sky. I felt the rain pelting down on me. And then I heard his cry, this cry from the man on the cross. He had just moments before cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it was a cry that sounded like someone who was dying not from nails piercing flesh, but rather from a broken heart. And then came his very last heaving cry. And that is when I knew this was no other than the Son of God. Here I stood before him, and I had overseen his death. I had told them all what to do to murder an innocent holy man. And I was filled with despair that I had been a part of his death and yet with utter conviction, not caring what those around me would think, I shouted out with a conviction that filled me and overwhelmed me so that I could not keep silent. Surely, this was the Son of God. As soon as the words of true confession were off my lips, I fell to my knees. Before that cross I worshipped, I don't know why I knew. Me, a Roman centurion with no religious training, here I was kneeling at the cross of a Jewish rabbi. And yet I knew I was in the presence of holiness. I knew that God was there and that somehow my recognition of who Jesus was made the difference between life and death. How do you respond to the cross? Are you like the Soterian? Do you realize Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Can you stand at the base of the cross and declare your need for him? It doesn't matter how much religious training you've had or how well you understand everything. All Jesus asks is that you confess him in faith and recognize him as Lord. It will make the difference between life and death. As we take communion, may you come to the cross in the depths of your heart. Recognize that his death was so that you could be set free. May you come to him today in a whole new way, even if you've done it before, and declare him Lord of your life.
the weekend that changed the world. We've gathered today at the base of Golgotha's Hill, not at the top of the hill, but at the base of the hill. People from all over the world were gathered. Pilate, as we've already heard, had given in to the will of the people. And there, there nailed to the cross was Jesus. Simon of Sirin was there, soldiers, the chief priests, the centurions were there. Mary was joined by friends, relatives. They watched the soldiers do their job, stripping Jesus of his clothes, nailing him to the crossbeam of wood, hoisting him up on the vertical shafts. They did the same thing to two common criminals each on one side of him. People, people, people gathered at the foot of the three crosses, at the foot of Golgotha's hill, all kinds of people. But the remarkable part of the story, the remarkable part of the story, and so often we miss it, is that you were there too. You were there too. You were there on the weekend that changed the world. Let me read to you from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 53 and verse number 3. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised. And we did not esteem him. The crowd despised him. The crowd cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Yet in this moment of unbearable pain and ultimate humiliation, Jesus' followers heard him pray, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Isaiah 53 and verse 4, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. None of us here were born yet. But we were at the cross. We were on the cross. Jesus bore our griefs. 
Jesus bore our sorrows. When Jesus was on the cross, we were there and we were on his mind. The perfect, pure, sinless Son of God was on the cross and our griefs were there, our sorrows were there, our failures were there, our sins were there with him on the cross. Were you there? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Yes, you were there. Yes, I was there. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us, me, you, to fall on him. We were there. We were on the cross. I was there. My iniquities, my sins, my stubbornness, my rebellion were laid on Jesus on that cross that day, on that weekend that changed the world. Everything changed that weekend. There was an eerie darkness over the city of Jerusalem that day. The heaviness of sin, the heaviness of sin from everyone who'd ever been born and had already died, the heaviness of the sin of every living person of that time in history, and the sin of everyone who was yet to be born was gathered at Golgotha's hill. No matter, no wonder the city was dark. Jesus was taking it all upon himself. The iniquity of us all fell upon him. We heard the stories this morning. We heard our Lord's chilling words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was a dark moment in Jerusalem, a dark moment for the world. It was a dark moment for Jesus. As our sins were laid upon him, we were there. Our sins were laid upon him. And at that moment in time, at that moment in history, there was not a hint of light in our Savior's soul. Jesus cried out, 
It is finished. The work was done. And then there is this strange event in the temple. The curtain in front of the Holy of Holies is torn from top to bottom. Everything had changed. Our sinfulness that had kept us from God's presence, that had kept us from God, Now Jesus had carried our sins, and now we had free access into the very presence of God. Our sins were gone. Our sins had been dealt with. Jesus had carried them for us on the cross. Our iniquity was laid upon him. Everything had changed. Everything had changed. What's so good? What's so good about Good Friday? This is the beginning of the weekend that changed the world. Good Friday. How can one describe such a day? The wrongdoing of all humanity putting to an end an innocent man, the Son of God. This is the story of Jesus' death by way of a cross, all in one moment bringing death to the bright light of our future. He never stopped loving us, and yet this is the incredible part of it, Our sin stopped his heart. Our sin drove the nails firmly in the hands of God. All along, these were the plans. We told ourselves that we were in control, and this was deemed sufficient for all of us. The brutal beating, the inhuman flogging, the naked humiliation. Heaven watched and saw it all. Our rebellion, our guilt, our shame, erasing the very notion of reconciling us with God, our sin and our debt, overcoming Jesus. Here is our king, obliterated. The enemy laughing, his plans unstoppable. There's no longer the sound of freedom rising. Now God's people are utterly broken. Behold the chains of mortality. Yes, this is what is true. We had heard the stories of old. The lost are found, the blind can see, the weak are made strong. But now we are witnesses to this reality. God is dead. We'd almost believed there is a way of redemption. There is a life of fulfillment. There is a peace beyond understanding. Now we know better. For us, we can say that God is encapsulated in this one realization. The single greatest sacrifice in human history is finished. How clearly we can see it. So what's so good about Good Friday? Just one thing, that the blood of Jesus can reverse the curse of sin and raise the dead to life. 
clearly we can see it is finished. The single greatest sacrifice in human history encapsulated in this one realization. We can say that God is for us. Now we know better. There is a peace beyond understanding. There is a life of fulfillment. There is a way of redemption. We had almost believed God is dead, but now we are witnesses to this reality. The weak are made strong. The blind can see. The lost are found. We had heard the stories of old. Yes, this is what is true. The chains of mortality utterly broken. Behold, freedom rising. Now God's people are unstoppable. There's no longer the sound of the enemy laughing. His plans obliterated. Here is our King, Jesus, overcoming our sin and our debt, reconciling us with God, erasing the very notion of our rebellion, our guilt, our shame. Heaven watched and saw it all, the naked humiliation, the inhuman flogging, the brutal beating, and this was deemed sufficient for all of us. We told ourselves that we were in control. All along, these were the plans firmly in the hands of God. Our sin drove the nails. Our sin stopped his heart. And yet, this is the incredible part of it. He never stopped loving us. The bright light of our future all in one moment, bringing death to death by way of a cross. This is the story of Jesus, the Son of God, an innocent man putting to an end the wrongdoing of all humanity. How can one describe such a day? Good Friday. he's done for us. We were there. We were there on the cross. He took our sins. We celebrate your grace, your goodness, your kindness. We thank you for the forgiveness, the mercy, and the grace, the undeserved love that was poured upon us by your Son. Thank you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you. In a few moments, we're going to partake of the bread and the cup together. As you remain standing and we worship together, the servers are going to come and distribute the bread. They're going to distribute the cup. We invite you today to join us you're a guest with us, we wholeheartedly invite you to partake with us. The only re request we would make of everyone is, is that this sincerely be an act of, of worship. If you can do this with a worshipful heart, 
We invite you to ask for the bread and the cup today. Bread is, is gluten-free. Let us begin to worship in song as we prepare our hearts for communion. In Jesus' name. We know you enjoyed this teaching from the Neighborhood Church from our Pine House location here in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. To touch base with us from anywhere in the world that you're listening, or maybe you're just at the gym or in your car, you can text the word Pine House to 306-800-5296. There you can fill out our digital connect card. Or if you want to give it a distance, or maybe you've been working weekends or just can't make it to the city, text the initials TNC to 705-230-8977. Through that little portal, you can give or tithe or even give to missions. For any more information about The Neighborhood Church, you can check us out online at theneighborhoodchurch.org. God bless you and have a great week.